0: body. Um, this morning, um, Nick Waltz is going to be continuing our series in Proverbs. And so as he comes up, if you guys will give him a hand. Hey, buddy. Hey, Bob. Hey. Um, and uh, all the children for children kids that are coming down first grade and under, you can go ahead and head down this way if you haven't already. Let me pray for Nick and then we can jump into the text. Father, thank you for Nick. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for your son Jesus. Thank you for um, your church. And I pray that you would uh, lead us in this time. I pray for the peace of Christ to rule in Nick's heart. And I pray that you'd minister to us. So we ask that you would give us receptive hearts to hear your word this morning. And we just say we love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Remember, the sermon's free and you get what you pay for, so... (laughs) Good morning. We're going to continue our series on the good life. We're going to look at what Proverbs teaches us about friendships today and um, what biblical friendships look like. And friendship's one of those things that it's a little interesting to think about when you um, look at, like, a scriptural understanding. When we think about being a follower of Christ, we know there's lots of different things that Christ calls us to be different, Right? Our marriages are different, our view on money is different, our view on relationships can be different, our view on politics and culture and art and all these different things can be different. But friendships can feel like they're just a natural part of life, like they're just a normal part of your day, like drinking coffee or being perpetually disappointed by your favorite sports team. It's just something that happens And we don't always view it through the lens of the cross, and what does that mean as being a follower of Christ? How does scripture tell us to view and think about friendships in a different way with a different perspective, just like everything else that God calls us to look at um, differently? So um, we're going to go ahead and open in prayer again, because prayer is good, and then we're going to talk about Proverbs and what we see in friendships. So Holy uh, Spirit, Heavenly Father, we ask to be with us today. Um, reveal your word, your truth in scripture, Lord God. What is it that you call us to be as friends? What does friendships look like as followers of you? How does the lens of the cross affect our viewpoint of other people that we know and that we don't know and that we're getting to know? And we just pray that you open up hearts and minds with us, receive your word and your truth today. In your name we pray. Amen. So I have a background in middle school education. I'm a teacher for 10 years and I'm an assistant principal. So we're going to start with a game because that's what I always do with my students. So I hope you're ready to be invigorated. So what we're going to do is I went through and uh, Shelby helped me do this. Shelby in the back somewhere helped me do this. Um, we are going to have on the screen some examples of things from the Proverbs that talk about friendships and then some things that we found on social media that talk about friendships that sound like Proverbs. And you guys are going to guess What is uh, a proverb and what is scripture? Um, And if you don't get it right, then we're going to ask you to leave. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, So we're going to do that. My friend Rachel is going to come up. No, I'm just kidding. I told Rachel I would say I wouldn't say that and then embarrass her. So um, because I'm a good friend. So let's start with the first one here. Lucky are those who find a true, loyal friend in this fake world. What do you think? Social media or scripture? Yeah. Look at you guys. You guys are good. All right, next one. Pay close attention to those who don't clap when you win. (laughs) Yeah, scripture. No, not scripture. Social media. Good. Next one. Some people will only love you as much as they can use you. Their loyalty ends when the benefits stop. Or where the benefits stop. Hey, good job. Yeah, social media. Bad company corrupts good character. (laughs) Scripture. True friends aren't the ones who... if either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Scripture, scripture very good. Um, next one. True. This is going to go on for 35 minutes, so I hope you're settled in. Uh, true friends aren't the ones who make your problems disappear. They're the ones who won't disappear when you're facing problems. Social media, Social media yeah. As iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another. Hashtag scripture. scripture, hashtag scripture. I like that, nice. And then, put me second and I'll make you non-existent. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's Jesus. <laughs> now social media. <laughs> so you guys feel pretty invigorated by that, right? So what you see is some of those obviously stand out to us as like, okay, that's not scripture. Some of them are scripture, and then some of them sound pretty good. Like, okay, they may not be scripture, but I can see the value in that proverb, right? But the thing is, when we look at things like this, the idea is a lot of these worldly views we see in friendship have what as the focus? Yourself, yeah. Self-centered focus of what can I get out of a relationship? What can I have as part of a friendship? What is my friend going to do for me, or what can my friend or what can I do for my friend? And so even as we just go through our days, if we follow God and we're on social media and things like that, slowly we're just washed in these messages that come across on all forms of media. And they slowly start uh, infiltrating the back of our minds. And as things happen in our lives, as things happen in our relationships, as things happen with our friends, slowly those things, if we're not rooted in Scripture and keep reorienting ourselves to Scripture, those things infiltrate our thoughts. And slowly we start adjusting our view of what a friend should be. And in the beginning of Hebrews, it talks about a ship that gets drifting away just a little bit at a time. And you're aiming for this point, and then you're slowly over here, and eventually you're going to end up way off base. And it's slow, and it's subtle. And so we have to keep rooting ourselves back into what do we expect from Scripture? What does God expect from us as people of the book who live differently when it comes with these kind of relationships? So let's look at Proverbs 17:17. A friend lives at all times. And a brother is born for adversity. So as we saw from some of those quotes, friendships can be transactional, right? I invite you over for dinner, so now I expect you the next time to invite us over for dinner. Or I drove you to the airport, so you should be willing to drive me to the airport. I help you move, you give me pizza, right? There's some (laughs) transaction there. And so listen to some random quotes I found from people online talking about friendships and this transactional nature. We are all social animals, genetically programmed to be so. About a million years of evolution dictates the fact that friendship is a mutually symbiotic process, which at its core is transactional. Again, just random people. Every time you interact with someone, it is transactional. If you didn't need anything, you would not need other people in your life as well. The need defines friendship. If you don't need your friend for anything, it won't be long before you lose contact with him or her. The need could be emotional, physical, or monetary, but at the end, it's the need which drives any relationship. Individuals are self-serving, making sure they get as much as they can from the relationship for a set amount of work in return. Within a transactional relationship, bonds are broken the moment one party does not hold up their ends. And lastly, I found this from an author named Alex Lickerman, who's a psychologist, talks about human relationships, and he breaks down friendships into four reasons why we have friends. We want reassurance so we know we're not alone in being a specific way or personality. We need help with someone to clarify our minds. We want someone to be silly with, and we network. This one got me. We network to seek collaborators to help us achieve our goals. Okay? This is a worldly, psychological, cultural viewpoint of the transactional nature of friends, and it's kind of just understood. I do this. You do this. And if we're not in that relationship, if that doesn't keep up, then eventually we drift apart. And um, on some level, this kind of makes sense to us. We're investing our time. We don't have a lot of time in our life, right? We're investing our time. We're investing our energy. We're investing our money into relationships with someone. And if we're getting nothing back in return, why should we even bother, right? That, just tends, that can be our default thought process when it comes to friendship. And the answer, as I mentioned earlier, is the way we approach everything as a follower of Jesus is through a totally different lens than how the world approaches everything, And Christ calls us to be different in every single way, in every part of our life, is through a different perspective. And so when we see in Proverbs 17, 17 that a friend loves at all times and a brother or sister is born of adversity, that all times that's in there is there for a reason. It just doesn't mean all times, like when I feel like it, or all times when things are good, or all times when I'm building a relationship and it's new in the relationship or new in the friendship. But it's the idea that our lives are so connected in a way that no matter what we are going through, the other person is supposed to be there with us, for us, supporting us, praying for us, interceding with us. Because there's this inter- uh, eternal component to a relationship as followers of Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians twelve twenty six, If one member, meet talk about the church, suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, we all rejoice together. So we, as followers of Christ, in relationship with one another, uh, we all suffer together as part of Christ's family. We're all unified by Jesus in a way that a regular friendship isn't. And the biggest difference when looking at a Christ-oriented friendship and one that isn't is this idea, again, that our friendship transcends just the things we have in common. It transcends our hobbies or our personal views. It transcends our similar takes in music or anything else. Because, again, we have this eternal perspective on who we are and we have an eternal perspective, eternal perspective of who we are in relationship with one another as part of God's family. Let me uh, explain this a little bit more by talking about a little bit of my friends. So I have two really close friends I grew up with. One's named Devin and one's named John and um, very different people. Devin, uh, both of these friends, all three of us met in middle school, became really close in high school and stay close to this day. Um, Devin, is uh, he's kind of like Forrest Gump in the sense that he's a part of everything that happens. And he's like, oh, there's Devin, there's Devin. Like for the, t- like the example at the time where he was driving down the road and saw an elderly gentleman on the side that he was like, oh, he looks lost and needs help. So he pulled over, asked the guy if he could give him a ride. The man said, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to such and such location. So Devin picked him up, drove him, dropped him off, went home feeling like he did something good until he watched the news that night and saw a missing persons report for this elderly gentleman who had escaped from a nursing home <laughs> and whose family was looking for him and needed uh, information uh, where he was. So that's one thing about Devin. He was also was the time I saw him on the local news when um, a bank was robbed. He didn't rob it, but um, he was on the security footage holding the door open for the bank robber, <laughs> walking the door as he's leaving. So that's Devin. He was also, um, he was also, uh, he's a firefighter, so he was also a fire jumper, so he used to jump into the California wildfires off a helicopter, and that's not me. That's not my personality. I don't like heights, and so uh, very different personalities. My friend John is also very different, very quiet, introspective, um, introverted, loves reading constantly in a book, um, not very social. But the three of us together, again, we met in middle school, got really close in high school because we were in a small group together all four years of high school, went to community college together, and stay close to this day, and they were best men at my wedding. And the reason we have this relationship was not because of things we had in common. Yeah, we had some things we kind of shared similar viewpoints, but it was this idea we were rooted in Christ. And it was this idea that despite the fact that I was not going to let a bank robber into a bank, um, or I had no desire to go fight fires or anything, I did not have that extreme nature as Devin. I wasn't as uh, sit-in-the-corner introspective as John our unification, a uh, piece of unification was our relationship with Christ. And we were unified through, as we spent those years together, talking about our struggles, talking about our sin, talking about our shame, our victories, our successes, praying for each other, studying the word together, being open with one another as we grew in our relationship with Christ and as we grew in relationship with others. That is what unified us. That is what allowed us to become close friends, and that really affects how we view friendships because of that Christ component. So one of my uh, most favorite quotes I've heard recently is the idea that uh, chemistry is not all—or sorry, community is not always chemistry. Community is not always chemistry. So I'm going to ask you guys, think about your friends right now. You don't have to share. I'm not going to ask you to share. Uh, but think about why you're friends with the people you're friends with. Okay. Is it that you've known each other for a long time? Is it that you're family, um, that you're in the same industry, you work at the same place, or you have the same hobbies, or something else? It's probably some kind of combination of those things, right? Okay. And that's only natural. There's nothing wrong with that. It's only natural we generally connect and grow as we grow with the people who we share similar interests with. That's just a normal part of human life. Um, but let's take a look at, again through the lens of Christ, the, the idea of we're one body, that we're one people in a unique community together, right? So how does our community grow? How do we build relationships? What does that relationship aspect look like in the church when we're in a church with so many different types of people? You're not going to be sharing hobbies, likes, and interests with everybody in this room, right? So look again at the bigger context of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that Paul talks about. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each of them, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And then jumping down to verse 25, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. See, we're a mixed up, mangled, hodgepodge group of people that run the entire range and gamut of humanity. We're not all going to be people who share the same interests or hobbies or ideas, but each of us brings a piece to the bigger picture of the kingdom of God. So think about how that extends to you when you look around to your friend groups, okay? If you've had the same group of friends for years and you're a close, tight-knit community, nothing wrong with that, we love our friends, we spend time with our friends, we invest with our friends, but what are we doing to open up our circles of friendships as we have new people join our community? What are we doing as to open up? Um, I wanna challenge you to think about that. Everyone craves community. If you've ever been new anywhere, you may know the awkwardness and pain of trying to connect, trying to engage with people who might come across unintentionally, or intentionally of not wanting to get to know you at all? And as you look around Sojourn, who is it you don't know? Not best friends with, who just do you not know? As we continue to grow as a church, we need to be hyper-aware of this and open our circles a little bit to include others who come from all kinds of walks of life. Sometimes we're worried that, like, We've had so much time in our communities. It might change the dynamics of our communities. We might be afraid to get to new, know new people. But again, with an inter- eternal perspective, the great thing is the people you're friends with, if you're followers in Jesus, you're going to be able to spend the rest of eternity with one another. Our friendships transcend this world. One day we will be spending all of the new heaven and the new earth with our closest friends. So, we can invest in other relationships here on earth, not worrying about the relationships we'd miss out on with or the time we're spending with other people because of that eternal perspective, because of that eternal reasoning. And when we look at the kingdom of God, isn't the kingdom of God a kingdom of outsiders? Aren't we a kingdom of immigrants and lonely people, people who want to be part of a community and part of a family? Aren't we people who open up our comfortable communities to bring people into God's family? We're called to be creating space for the outsiders. That's one of our missions. And so this recontextualizes the why we have friendships, what's our role as followers of Christ and friendships. It's beyond just our closest friends, is what are we doing to include the body of God in one another and true community with one another as members uh, it is to be in a place of allowing vulnerability and authenticity with one another outside of just being best friends because of a shared interest. And again, you're going to have shared interests with friends. There's nothing wrong with having friends with shared interests. Saying there's more to it on in a biblical perspective than just what we have in common. So you see this kind of idea of these types of relationships in nature. I'm a former science teacher. And so um, you see this really well in ecological relationships. And so you're going to get a science lesson today. So Wesley gave an art history lesson a couple weeks ago. You got a science lesson today. So you can tell your friends you get a very well-rounded education at Sojourn. So come and learn. Because that's what everyone likes to do during their summer. So in the world of ecology, there's a concept that all organisms are part of something called a niche. Or a niche, depending on how you pronounce it. And it includes the physical space you live in and all the resources and organisms that you interact with that allow you not just to survive, but also to thrive. And all of us have a niche, all of us have a a community, all of us have resources, all of us have space, all of us have neighbors, all these kinds of things. And in nature, what we see is five different types of relationships that come from relationships that share a niche. And our niche can be Sojourn, it can be Marietta, it can be your place of work, your school, whatever, okay? So we're going to talk about four of them, because one of them is predation, and unless you're secretly like a a lion or a great white shark, we're not going to talk about predator-prey relationship today. So we'll move on. We'll do the other four. And so the four other relationships that you see in nature are there are two negative type of relationships. There's a neutral type, and there's a positive type, okay? So um, you didn't know you are getting biology today. This is great. Um, Textbooks are under your seat. Quiz at the end of the class. So the first type of relationship is competition. And in nature, a competition is when one organism and another organism are fighting over limited resources. They're fighting over food, they're fighting over drink, they're fighting over territory, okay? And they're competing for a limited scope of resources. And this can be relationships that we set up with other people where we're in competition with one another. Not athletic competition, although that can be a piece of it, but the idea of a competition where we're competing over shared resources. I want to be friends with that person more than I want to be friends with this person. I want to be part of this community more than I want to be part of that community. People only have so much time and energy in their place. I want to be here, not there. I want to be living in this neighborhood, not in that neighborhood. Competition with one another over our status essentially is how it breaks down when you look at it from a human perspective. What is the competition that we're having in our relationships? The second type is a parasitic relationship, right? This is another negative type of relationship where one organism is thriving at the expense of another organism. So like a mosquito or a tick, right? We hate mosquitoes because they're getting a benefit and we're certainly not getting a benefit from that relationship. And so these kind of toxic relationships are another part of humanity. These are other relationships that people can establish. You might have been part of one of these relationships. You might have had that relationship in a church where someone in authority or leadership or someone had had this parasitic relationship where they were just taking and taking and taking and not giving anything back. That's not a biblical relationship. And then the other two you have, one's called commensalism. And commensalism is a neutral type of relationship where one organism benefits from it, but the other organism has no effect whatsoever, not positive or negative, okay? So like there's a remora fish, hangs around a shark, uh, The shark doesn't care, the fish is there, the shark just goes about its day. But the remora fish gets food, gets transportation, gets protection, so it benefits from hanging around that shark. And there are times in our lives where we have this kind of commensalist relationship with one another. Maybe it's, you got, uh, you're um, a, a parent of older kids or a grandparent, and there's somebody in the church who's a brand new parent, talk about baby dedication today. And you take them under your wing and you're pouring into them and you're investing into them and you're mentoring them and you're teaching them and you're being with them. Doesn't on from a big picture, maybe not, or individual picture, maybe not beneficial or hurting you, but it's beneficial to the other person. Maybe it's a college kid who's new to Christ and they don't know where to start in reading scripture. And you take them under your wing, and you have them over for dinner, and you're reading scripture with them, and you're answering questions, and you're finding answers to questions, and you're going through all this, and that's another relationship. You're pouring into one person. They're not necessarily giving anything back to you the same way, but you're pouring in, and you're investing into their life as well. And then the last type of relationship is called a uh, mutualistic relationship, where both parties benefit and grow from that relationship. These are the relationships that are healthy relationships we see in our community groups, in our churches, in our families, where both parties or multiple families are together, breaking bread together, spending time together, listening to one another, walking through hard things together, knowing that the other person is there and loving and caring and praying and encouraging. And you both are benefiting from that relationship because of your unity that you have in Christ. You know the heart of the other person. They know their heart, your heart, and you're growing together as one or as a group or as people. And you see this, the way God put these relationships into nature, the same way God wants to put these relationships into our church. We want to have these mutualistic relationships with people around us. We want to be encouraging and lifting one another up and building one another up in Christ. And these relationships are not just required for survival in nature, in our lives, they're required for thriving. This is how organisms thrive in their environment, by having these specific types of symbiotic relationships. It's not transactional in the sense like I'm not doing something for you unless you do for me, but it's both pouring into one another and lifting each other up because we have this relationship in Christ. Yeah, you'll connect and click with some people more than others, but never at the expense of the idea that everyone in this church belongs in community together. And we won't thrive or survive if we don't have that perspective. Within the context of the called life Jesus has for us, it's different than what the world asks for us in those same relationships. Our friendships and all of our relationships are far more deeper than just hanging out and enjoying each other's company, even though that's a great thing and that's part of it, because there's eternal consequences and perspective in these relationships with one another. So how do we cultivate these relationships? It's easy to say, oh yeah, that's what you should do, but how do we cultivate these relationships? And we try to do things like men's ministry and women's ministry and community groups, which are a great way to get to know other people in the church and get to know one another and pray for one another and worship together. But I read about this concept. It's really captivated me the last um, month or so, a couple months. Uh, and I found it on Twitter. So Twitter is good for one thing. So I found it. And this is a concept of something called errand hanging. Have you ever heard of this? is actually based on a uh, apparently a Mandarin Chinese word called Pai, P-E-I, I'm sure I said that wrong, Um, which is the definition of which is to, I won't get this perfectly right, accompany someone for completely frivolous reasons. And the idea here is as we go through life, we usually don't invite people, not all the time, into the mundane, boring, normal parts of our day. We set up coffee dates and lunches and dinners and going to events together and things like that to build relationships. So we can program, you know, not program, plan it together, sync up our calendars because we're all super busy, and allow us to catch up with each other, spend time getting to know each other, having fun together, and that's all great. But this idea of inviting someone into the mundane part of your lives is powerful, because what happens in the mundane, regular parts of your lives, you're 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 you're, your, 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 your real you your real motions you go through the motions of your day. So the idea of inviting somebody in to like, hey, you know what, I got a couple hours this afternoon, you may have a couple hours, instead of trying to do something fancy and plan and watch the kids and all, sync all that stuff up, I gotta go to Costco, I gotta go pick up some dry cleaning, I gotta go get an oil change and sit in the lobby for 35 minutes. Would you come with me and enter into that life with me? And it seems kind of silly on the surface, like why would I want someone to come grocery shop with me? That, that's boring. But the idea, again, behind it, the idea is we allow ourselves to be most connected when we're the most authentic. Think about the deepest relationships you have. It's probably with the people who know you the best, right? And not even just like on a a normal level, but like who have seen you at your most awkward or your worst or your most uncomfortable, the regular parts and the mundane parts of your life, the boring parts of your day, when you can be open and honest and just frustrated at traffic, frustrated at this, That realistic authenticity is what connects people. It's too much of connection on social media where I can be friends with someone who lives 2,000 miles away and know nothing about them except what they share, right? But this authentic relationship building that we're called to as followers of Christ comes up in this mundane relationship. And so it could be something as simple as like, hey, there's a college kid who wants to know what the next stage of life is. What's it like to be married? I don't, you know, what I didn't know what that was like as a college kid. I mean, I had my parents and things like that too, but like to be close and in a relationship and friendship with a couple raising kids when I'm in that stage of my life, how beautiful is it to invite that person and be like, hey, come hang out. I got chores all day. I got to mow the yard and stuff, but just come out and be with us and see what a Christian family looks like. See what godly relationships can look like. Maybe you're a Uh, Again, a veteran parent and you have like a newlywed couple or someone, again, with new children, you're like, hey, I got a couple hours on Saturday, I got to go sit at the soccer field with my son as they're doing their soccer game. Why don't you pack a picnic and come hang out with us and see what the next stage of life looks like? It can be as simple as that, just inviting people into these honest moments into one another's lives. And those authentic, real moments allow then when somebody says, hey, I see what you're going through. I'm going to pray for you and with you for that. There's a realistic aspect to that. There's something deeper there beyond just sometimes we say, yeah, I'll pray for you, and we mean well, and then we never get around to it. But when we build these more authentic, deeper, honest, mundane relationships and stuff, there's a connection that happens there that I think allows for us to be really entering into someone's life, and they're entering our lives, and they're like, I'm not just hearing that you're having a hard time with this. I'm seeing that you're having a hard time. How can I come walk with you through this moment as a fellow believer in Christ? authentic moments, and those mundane moments can be a gift of unplanned authenticity. Like, let's say hypothetically uh, you're coming back from playing soccer with um, your pastor and two guys, let's call them Jared and James just for fun, and uh, you're driving back and you're going from uh, up up 75 and you realize you're starting to get carsick. Um, Again, this is totally hypothetical. And uh, you tell your pastor, hey, can you pull over? And he goes, that's not a pullover, that's a cardigan. And you're like, Ernie, let's call him Ernie. And you say, Ernie, I need you to pull over, please. Um, and he's like, oh, this is real, and then he pulls over four lanes of traffic for you, and you're trying to be, you're like, please, Holy Spirit, come, and please don't <laughs> let me get sick, because this guy's going on a vacation this weekend, and in this truck, and I don't want this truck to be a problem. And again, hypothetical, and you pull over, and you jump out, and James and Jared are in the back again, pretend names, saying, like, I can't do anything for this man. If that were to happen, that's a moment of unplanned authenticity that I, I mean, the person was certainly not have planned for. (laughs) But that kind of realistic living is what I'm talking about. Hopefully not always that specific case, but the idea of this realistic, authentic living, knowing somebody in their weakest, most humbling, most embarrassing moments, what does that do? You enter in through their life like that. There's a connection there and stuff that happens because of the real, just the world you live in. And the people we invite in those moments shouldn't just be our closest friends, although those should be a part of it too, um, but it could be people we hardly know. Because again, family of God, community church together, eternal perspectives that we have. Because rarely in the kingdom of God are we surrounded with only the people who are just like us or think just like us and thank God we're not. Because God has created us as a beautiful tapestry of diverse thoughts and of diverse opinions, of feelings, of different theological perspectives, different spiritual gifts, different families, different genders, different races, and everything else that do not oppose one another, but we complement one another in Christ. So remember that chemistry is not always community. It can certainly lead to community, but at the end of the day, our real unifying factor is Christ. Christ. That's what unifies us as a body. And if you don't agree with me on that, um, let's look at scripture. So Jesus' disciples were a diverse group of people. But two of the most diverse were this guy Matthew, who was a tax collector, and Simon the zealot. And if you don't know what a zealot was, a zealot during that time was basically a revolutionary group in ancient Israel, whose complete goal was to overthrow the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire controlled the Middle East at that point in history. And the Zealots were Jews who believed that we need to liberate Israel from the Roman Empire by any means necessary. We will kill anyone we need to, and we will destroy anything we need to to liberate this nation from the empire. That was their entire perspective. That was their entire goal. And Simon, one of Christ's disciples, was one of those men. Matthew was a tax collector who was the definition of a traitor to Israel, completely turned his back on his people, his religion, his God, his relationship, to be an ally and serve the Roman Empire, collecting money for the invading army and getting rich off of it as well. And so you have two people who, if you were to lock them in the room, Matthew probably wouldn't be walking out. Simon's view of anything I need to do to liberate my nation Matthew's view of anything I need to do to take advantage of this situation for my benefit. And Christ didn't randomly pick him. He purposely picked Matthew, purposely picked Simon, and had them as his 12, one, two of his 12 closest disciples. And there had to have been uncomfortable moments as they went through three years together. There had to be moments where Matthew and Simon eyed each other suspiciously. There had to be moments where they got into arguments. There had to be uncomfortable moments. But what also they had was three years at the feet of Jesus. And they had three years to hear the gospel be proclaimed. They had three years of listening to Jesus' teaching. They had three years that culminated in Christ dying, being buried, and then resurrected. They were in the same room together, hiding when Jesus appeared to them. They were in the same room together after Christ went to heaven when the Holy Spirit came and fell on them. They were in Jerusalem together when they started the church. And they eventually became some of the first missionaries of that church. The gospel and the the relationship they had with Christ destroyed all other awkwardness, all other differences between them. And their focus became the mission. Their focus became the gospel of Jesus Christ. It didn't matter how much they hated each other before Christ. Christ as their unifying factor brought them to a place where they both died for the gospel eventually. They were in constant community, and it mirrors to us that no matter how disparate our likes and dislikes are, Christ as our unifying factor takes all that away. And so I want to look at a few other verses in Proverbs as we close to look at as we understand how cultures viewed friendships, why Christ calls us a different type of friendships, what do these friendships look like? in a godly way through the lens of followers of Jesus. So these are from Proverbs 27 and 28. So Proverbs 27 starting verse 5, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Verse 9, oil and perfume make the heart glad, but the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Verse 17, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. Proverbs 28, 23, whoever rebukes a man will afterwards find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. So, the relationships and friendships we forge one another through ministry, through community groups, through just doing life together, allows us to encourage one another as fellow believers on a whole different level. We're called to be open and honest with one another, not just here in the Proverbs, but you see this God's command of honesty throughout Scripture. It's a sense, not honesty necessarily in the sense like we don't lie on our taxes, but honesty in this relationship and authenticity with each other. When when the Proverbs say a rebuke of a friend cuts deeper than that of an enemy or a stranger, why is that true? We know that's true because our friends know us better than just random people do. They know where we struggle. They know where we're honest. They know when we're dishonest. That person knows us better, and as followers of Jesus knows that our lives are supposed to be better and supposed to be more than sometimes we allow ourselves to be okay with. We can say what we know what we want our friends, or we, we can say what we know our friends want to hear, and it'll sound sweet, or we can say truth, be honest, it will cut and it will hurt, but it will spur us one another onto good deeds. It will spur us to sanctification. It will spur us to being the people God called us to be. And we know what they're trying to do for us because we know their heart as followers of Jesus. They know our heart. We know that we are unified in Christ and that we're called to lift each other up. As iron, art sharpens iron, and it does this by friction, it's not passive, it happens through friction. But that tension and that friction makes for something that is incredibly useful and incredibly effective. And when the people around us are the ones who are sharpening us, and we in turn sharpen them, we forge together as a church community into people who are effective to the true way God wants us to live and the true mission of God. Ephesians 2 19 through 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, our cornerstone. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. That's us, the holy temple of the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And our friendships and our community reminds us that we are fellow citizens, we're fellow family members, fellow saints joined together. We are a holy temple that are a dwelling place for the spirit and friendships matter, not because they're just fun and not just because they're an excuse to hang out and spend time with each other, other, but they allow us to be together to remember who we are in Christ. So let's pray and then we will take communion. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you call us to be more in our relationships. We thank you for being one who is the center, the cornerstone of our relationships. That our unity comes from not shared things on this earth, but from the eternal unity we have with you. We pray, Lord God, that we look around, we build community with one another. Centered on you, Lord God, as we see how can we build one another up. How can we be used as... Parts of a bigger picture, Lord, for your glory and for your kingdom. Thank you for your word today, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. We are going to take communion on the edge of your